0: Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is, one more time, p-o-d-g-o-dot-c-o, podgo.co.
1: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
2: And now for something completely different. Bob Backlund, what was the last thing he, he said, I'll save us, it's I'll it. save us. That That's what he was right, saying? The evils of rock and roll, McMahon. Unbelievable. Wow. President Clinton and uh, Newt Gingrich should have invited Bob Backlund to New Hampshire yesterday.
1: I don't think he would have shook hands
2: like they did. Who oh, no. knows? Bob Backlund could very well put a chicken wing on them. Um,
1: That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Maybe even
2: Newt. It's too far to the right for Bob Paxman, I think. Who knows? That guy the his shirt off. What guy is that?
1: Troy yeah, there.
2: Curry has his shirt off. Troy locking up, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, Mike Curry. Nice takedown. And we're going to try to repair the camera, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit later on and see if we cannot pick up a, a word from Man Mountain Rock. Wait till Man Mountain Rock. Finds out what happened to his guitar outside of his locker room.
1: Well, that was an accident, my man. An accident? That was no accident. I just hope Bob's not hurt. Hurt? Right.
2: Oh, my goodness. If he slipped and fell and hit his head, maybe it knocked some sense into it. Look at this. Crystal. Oh, and a shot there. Crystal with a
1: slap across Troy's face. I'm appalled.
2: You're appalled?
1: You could be speaking of the future president. Bob Backlund, you can't talk about him like that.
2: Bob Backlund for president. Like we said, ladies and gentlemen, anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation
1: anything except me having to kiss Bret Hart's foot
2: oh really that'll please. never happen uh-huh off the rope and crystal down to the canvas
1: you know the only thing that would be worse than having to ki- kiss Bret Hart's foot is what if having to kiss his mother Helen's foot can you imagine a wrinkled up of, of you know how when old people when they get real old have their toenails start to get like real thick I bet mean, her toenails There's so thick she can hardly get him into those big black orthopedic shoes she wears. How dare you? What?
2: Helen Hart happens to be a, a lovely, wonderful lady. And a lady who uh, what? Who gave birth to 12 children. Look at that. Oh, yeah. And coming in now, ladies and gentlemen, Travis.
1: Now on Mother's Day, Bret Hart has to send her a sympathy card.
2: Please, sympathy card. shaved
1: her on Mother's Day.
2: Exactly what's going to happen to you after that matchup. Someone's going to be sending you a sympathy card. You're going to be trying to run out of the ring. It's going to be, feet don't fail me now. All right,
1: yeah. Techno Team 2000. Like, about? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, they might be ready to face somebody like me in about the year 2000. Oh, the are right back. Look at that maneuver. Crystal over hip. And try. Travis, the legal
2: man. Oh, and try Let's have one-on-one competition in there. Yeah, I guess any two men could beat one. What's this? Man Mountain Rock, ladies and gentlemen. Wait a minute. Curry with a knee to the back. Oh, hard right hand. Troy in a little trouble right now. Here's a tag. And uh, Mike Curry coming in on Troy. Give him a little taste of their own medicine. Two-on-one. Double on team one. effort. Oh. No, underneath and oh. double close line. Tremendous maneuver there by Troy. The tags, once again, Travis coming in. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we will be going to the uh, locker room. We are told that we will have, our camera has been repaired, and we will pick up some comment from Man Mountain Rock. I would imagine he's not too happy about what happened outside his locker room. Man Mountain Rock. Oh, no! Why didn't he come out face back? Now, apparently Stand in the shower, but uh, he is off there now, and apparently mad as a hornet. Come on, Rap, get control of this matchup, and double-team ever to get on Mike Corey.
1: He was in the shower.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I'd buy that. Your feet could, could stand a little shower right about now, a little fast if you would.
1: That's that's not what you smell. I think your roll-on's rolled off.
2: Wait a minute from the top row. Beautiful maneuver. On cover, our cannon. Travis takes the victory. Travis and Troy, oh, Techno match. Team 2000 successful in their Monday Night Raw debut. These two youngsters attempting to make a name for themselves here tonight on Monday Night Raw and warming up, ladies and gentlemen. Max Booger ready to lock up with Yoko.
0: Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and on this feature episode here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, we have the one and only former WCW and WWF superstar, a former monster truck driver and NFL player, none other than Chad Fortune for this very, very rare interview and this look at a great career that spanned so many different things. I mean, it's just crazy. We speak about it in the interview, how unique and how different of a life and career he had. Think about it. He goes and becomes a big-time football player for the University of Louisville, starts all four years. He's a great tight end. You know, going through the years there, his quarterback at first is Jay Gruden, who was the coach of the Washington Redskins, and the brother of John Gruden. Then next, his quarterback is Eric Watts, who obviously is a former WBF and a WCW superstar and the son of the legendary Cowboy, Bill Watts. So what an interesting start. So then he goes in the NFL. He plays for the Colts, the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Redskins, the Bears, and even for NFL Europe for the Frankfurt Galaxy. So then he gets recruited into a WCW through Eric Watts, and he's kind of wrestling on house shows and, and going through the power plan and going through the training system with Jody Hamilton, Blackjack Mulligan, and Ole Anderson, not really getting anywhere, not really doing anything with him, not using them on TV. He's just kind of there. So what he does is he goes and he meets up with Vince McMahon through, obviously, Eric Watts and that relationship. And they get a tryout, and there's much more to the story, which you will hear in the interview, but kind of things progress from there. And him and Eric Watts end up as the Techno Team 2000 in the WWF. We go through that whole run there. Then eventually, he ends up back in WCW, and Eric Bischoff brings him back in. and He doesn't do too much as far as a lot of TV stuff, but he's on... WWE Pro, Saturday Night, Main Event, Worldwide. He was part of the Pit Crew Tag Team with Dale Torborg and wrestling guys like Jeff Jarrett and Psychosis and Barbarian and Bam Bam Bigelow and Alex Wright and Lord Steven Regal, etc., etc., but I think that people may not know this, might be a good trivia nugget, and we talk a lot about this in the interview, is he is Goldberg's first loss. Go back to July 24th, 1997. It was a dark match for a WCW Saturday Night taping, and arn Anderson's at the helm at this point. He basically is in works with Kevin Sullivan, who is the head booker. So, you know, he's booking the the Saturday night show, Arn is, and he's booking the dark matches and stuff. So he has a very, very young Bill Goldberg, and he has Chad Fortune go over on him. So Chad Fortune is technically the first loss for Goldberg, and that streak that everyone knows of, didn't really happen. He de- definitely had that loss first and that was kind of wiped from the record, stricken from the books and we talk about that extensively in this interview. Very kind of cool stuff and a kind of funny backstory and you'll hear all about Goldberg and Chad's relationship because they are very very good buddies then and they still are now. So that is some just some really really good stuff. We'll go through how we got into monster trucks, how we got into monster jam what he's doing today and all that kind of good stuff so it's really really interesting and how wrestling really led to his time and in, in monster trucks and, and in the monster jam we'll go through all of his cars and every car that he you know was driving and kind of how did he get it to that point big-name cars, too. I mean, you're talking about Captain America, Superman, Wolverine, Soldier of Fortune car, very, very cool stuff. And we also talk about how he was almost a part of Masterpiece No Limit soldiers. So, I mean, this is a really, really awesome interview. I absolutely love this. Very, very rare. Had a lot of cool stuff, uh, indeed, in it. I absolutely love it. So, without any further ado, I'm going to send it on over uh, to that interview. But first, just want to mention the TMPT Empire. You can go to TMPTEmpire.com for the latest and greatest of part of the Two Man Power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. We've got Taskmaster talks. We've got taking you to school. We've got the University of Dutch. We've got talking tough. We've got Pro Wrestling 101. We got the Triple Threat podcast. We got Trump Mania. There's so many things going on in the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. It is absolutely crazy. So, like I said, check out tmptempire.com for the latest. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. So. Without any further ado, the former monster truck driver, NFL player, WCW, and WWF superstar. He was a part of Techno Team 2000 and the first man ever to pin Bill Goldberg. He is, of course, Chad Fortune. Coming us on the line is a former a monster truck driver, a former NFL player, and of course, a former WCW and WWF superstar. He is Chad Fortune. Chad, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Awesome. Thanks for having me. No problem. I think first and foremost is it's kind of what have you been up to lately? Like what's uh, what's going on? I know obviously the covid era the pandemic era is kind of going on but what's been going on with you
3: well um you're right the the covid situation has kind of shut down all of inter- entertainment uh i know wwe's uh, doing some shows but without um any crowds or anything so it makes it probably a little tough to try and get uh, get the reaction from crowds like that but um yeah, there's no entertainment as far as Monster Jam is concerned. No events. Um, so, I was also I was also an executive with Feld Entertainment, uh, Feld Motorsports that uh, owned the uh, Monster Jam properties. Um, I stopped driving Soldier Fortune probably. Well, it's been about two years ago, and I'd always been an executive. Um, for the past 20 years because because uh, being an athlete and, and having injuries you, that you can never predict that one day you have a job and the next day you're looking for a job. And so when I started with Monster Jam 20 years ago, um, I was more than happy to drive, drive the monster trucks, but yet to work in the office and have a plan B for that. When the great time was to be retired, that I would still have uh, a job and and continue to uh, be valuable in that that respect. Um, But right now it's been, it's been quiet. It's probably the first time in 20 years, if not longer, that I actually had time to kind of sit back and relax. And it's been, it's been quite nice under the circumstances, but you know, time to get back to work. Now, 20
0: years as far as monster trucks and and monster jam, that's kind of surprising. I mean, that that seems like it just kind of flew by. What led you to your monster truck career? Was it wrestling that actually kind of ended you up and and led you into the world of uh, monster jam and monster trucks?
3: Yeah, it absolutely did. And we'll probably go through this fortune life story in reverse. So 20 years ago, uh, 1999, actually, um, I started, I was with WCW, um, and that was that, that troubled time of years where Ted Turner and, and CNN and everybody was kind of getting away from the, the wrestling at WCW, um. And they were starting to, to kind of fold up and, and wanted to start, they started cutting some of the wrestlers and things of that matter. Um, we saw some of the writing in the wall, but there was a, a guy named Mike Weber who was, uh, I think he was vice president of the marketing department. And a couple of years after that, I was training guys and, and just doing some of the, the uh, house shows and um, the TV shows in Orlando, but getting away from the actual travel and working with the marketing department. And I was, it was me doing a lot of the, um, pay-per-view commercials. So if it was survivor series, I was on the horse, you know, pulling the sword out and jamming it in the rock, um, road wild. I was on the Harleys and the motorcycles and stuff like that. And, um, uh, doing a lot of that, and then also with the WCW had a Bush series car that myself and Dale Torborg were the pit crew, and actually out there being the pit crew, you know, running out in the middle of traffic and changing tires and and changing the wedges in the in the rear ends and stuff. It was really quite quite exciting. But when he left, he left and went to what was Pace Motorsports that turned into Monster Jam. Um, he called me and asked me if I was interested in, in driving a monster truck. Um, at that time, Monster Jam wanted to try and get some people that you know could talk and do some good interviews, um, kind of didn't look like the typical North Carolina guide building trucks and being dirty all the time and and starting it. Nothing bad about that. It's just a direction that they were trying to experiment with. Um and that's where we would have started. I was in I talked to him on the phone, he invited me to to um Minneapolis for a Monster Jam event. I thought he was crazy, I thought it was crazy. Um you know, Grave Digger jumping over cars and you know landing up on its roof, and then uh, the next day he they invited me to go to North Carolina to drive Grave Digger at a bean field and meet uh, Dennis Anderson, who is the creator of Grave Digger. Um, at the time, I don't think I was I was interested in it, but I thought that people would pay some money to be able to go and and drive this fifteen. 100-horsepower monster truck, 10-foot-tall and 10,000 pounds. So Mm -hmm. I I went to North Carolina, met Dennis Anderson. They were, you know, taking my measurements and welding a seat and, you know, pulling everything back and and basically customizing this truck, pulling the body off of it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, why are they doing all of this? And why are you pulling the body off? He goes, because they said, when you wreck my truck, you don't destroy the body. And I go, who the hell is going to wreck anything today? <laughs> um, but that's just how the business, I mean, it's how it is. These these things are so powerful. And the technology was just just that. The motor was bigger than the technology. And, I mean, I had time in my life for three days in North Carolina. and And I'll tell you, it was February. And it doesn't get real cold in North Carolina, but... I was in the sound of uh, kill devil Hills is where they were at and right there on the, um, the intercoastal. And I was in the water in February, letting the ocean waves hit, you know, splash me around my back and neck. Cause I was so stoked up after those days But the adrenaline was so high and I didn't feel anything until I got home, but that was the start of it. Um, they built a truck. And I never looked back. Now, were
0: you actually, like, driving, like, when WCW had their trucks? You know, they had a nitro truck, an
3: NWO yeah. truck. Were you
0: actually the driver for those trucks?
3: I was the – well, at the time, they they built me a truck uh, with, the, with a concept truck. But actually, the day that I went to go test it, it was too small for me. So what they end up – what we end up doing is – They were building another truck, and uh, I'm sorry, that's not how it was. Um, I went right away, 1999, uh, on TV. Because they were building me a truck and it wasn't ready, I had to – I was doing the spokesman for the NWO truck. Um, And that's what you're going to see, some of the TNT uh, highlights of me being NWO spokesman um grooming and then when the the truck that they built for me was actually too small when i went to test it and i jumped right into uh the nitro wcw nitro machine um that was already out there but it was an older grave digger that they just spray painted white and you know of course it was like a an astro van concept but it was a cool truck um but that was really kind of how it started that's
0: interesting. You yeah. who would have thought? Like your wrestling career would have led into like a huge twenty-year run at Monster Trucks, right? I mean, that's kind of uh, maybe not the way you had planned it or
3: thought out. No, you man, I tell you, I, I talk when I do some of my motivational speaking stuff. Is that you? You never say no to anything, uh, even as a kid. That you, I always tried everything. Um, we were. I grew up in the in town Valparaiso, Indiana. And we would build bicycles, and motor, motocross bikes, and we would, you know, build go-karts, and we would ride motorcycles out in the, you know, there's so much land out there. And we played baseball, and we played basketball and football. And all of these things that we would do, that we, we have BB gun wars, and we would camp out there. Uh, all of it somehow ties into my, my life. Um, of just saying, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. Uh, having an open mind and going for it. And, you know, the luck of the, of being around the right people at the right time. Um, but never would I have thought that I would actually be Superman, uh, Captain America, have my own truck called soldier fortune, which was a tribute truck, pro wrestle in Madison square gardens, um, uh, play football in Japan and Europe. Um, and in the Meadowlands, and you know, it, it's just been a just been a, a roller coaster of a life. It's been fantastic.
0: Now, as far as kind of getting into wrestling, how did you like? How did that happen? I know you were a big star at the uh, University of Louisville, right? You played tight end, and Eric Watts was your teammate slash roommate. I believe Watts yeah. was the QB. You had a uh, short run, but you still you know, had a run in the NFL, then the NFL Europe. Right. No. So how, how does the WWF, I mean, how does wrestling kind of all of a sudden happen for you?
3: Well, here, here's how it was. So Howard Schnellberger recruited me to play for the university of Louisville. Um, he was building a program. Um, I think the year before, two years before uh, Louisville was of course, it was known as a basketball school, but mm-hmm. Howard yep. Schnellberger who, who won the national championship at the university of Miami He was part of the 72 Dolphins, um, the offensive coordinator there. He came to my house and threw me a Super Bowl ring and a national championship ring, and he says, I'm going to get you one of these. Um, And I was just floored. And so off to Louisville I went. So, yes, um, uh, I met Eric Watts there, and he was actually a year younger than me. He came in after me. And Jay Gruden, who um, uh, he was the head coach, he grew to be the head coach of uh, the Washington Redskins. Yep. And um, and of course, everybody knows his brother. He was my he was my quarterback up until he graduated, and then and I was a four year uh, senior, so I didn't get redshirted. So I went off and. Into the NFL, Indianapolis and um, Miami, Philadelphia, Chicago, kind of skipped around the league. Went into Europe, but at that time, when Eric came out of Louisville, he went right into uh, WCW, where his father was, I think, the commissioner there, and um, started to do his own run. I was playing in the NFL, skipping around, and end up. Getting sidelined with a basically an infection in my hip flexor, and which put me out. Had some time off there. Eric was called me up and said, "Let's uh, let's get you in WCW and we'll become a tag team." I mean, we're just prophesizing at that point, but that's kind of what happened. Um, had a tryout at WCW, um, joined the squad there, learning. And, and again, I didn't know a whole lot about wrestling at that time. This is a lot of the superstars, of course, Cowboy Bill Watts um, going to visit there and then meeting a lot of the rest of us that way, um, you know, watching the, all the old school guys. So at WCW at that time, uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin. Actually, you know what? I'm, I am rambling on here. Do you, do you want me to no, continue perfect. On?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I love it. Perfect.
3: Okay. All right. Jody Hamilton, the assassin, was running the WCW school there. Blackjack Mulligan was, was a coach and Oli Anderson was a coach. And it was, you know, it was not smartened up. So you had to do I had basically do a uh the the uh mark uh tryouts. Blew me up with a bunch of squats, sit ups and push ups and running ropes until my, my last bled taking bumps. Um, and then may, they threw me in there with a real shoot wrestler and I basically got in a street fight uh, for a tryout. Of course, I was an NFL guy not a wrestler, but I was in pretty, pretty good shape. So I held my own and was able to actually just make it through there. Um, and, and was put on a, a contract to train. And that's kind of how that started. So was, in, was there, but it was also around the time where Hulk Hogan was signed with a big contract and he brought all his boys, uh, Beefcake and uh, some of the South. Uh, all these guys were coming in there and it almost ended up being kind of a closed session for any of the young guys wanting to come up. Um, at least that's how it felt for me is that, man, i and then if I want, I end up kind of having some runs uh, in the Orlando, you know, TVs and stuff like that, but no, no real big break in, in that. Um, uh, uh, a buddy of mine that I played football with, Bill Goldberg. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. tried tried out and I helped in training of him uh we were we were buddies from way back so we would travel together and um of course everybody knows about the run that he had um with wcw and not you know having the the winning streak and truly the the whole purpose of that was that bill was so green and the office didn't know what to do with him, so they just said go out there and and kill guys in two minutes <laughs> and it wasn't even a streak up until the point somebody decided there was going to be a streak because that's pretty much all bill could do because he was so green to right. uh, go out there and we would work on his finish on a bunch of different finishes at the school um uh the the one in the book he states that i was really the only one that really broke that streak in the middle of that that um, that I beat him in really in a dark match. And it was, it, it was me. And it was, the booker was Arn Anderson and said, Chad, and I think he knew that we were friends. He goes, Chad, you're going over tonight. And we had a pretty decent match, Bill and I, and went around about the right time where Bill was starting to get blown up. And we just did the, uh, my finish um, and pinned him and got out of there and didn't much of it until – Bill replayed that in his book and, and said that I was his first win, and He didn't have to do that. I do appreciate him even even saying that.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. It was uh, July of 97. I guess it was a, a dark match for like a Saturday night taping, so it was nothing big. And this was before Goldberg obviously even made his debut, which would be yep. September of 97. So this is about two months before that. Was there any talk of like, hey, you know, uh, we're going to – have the streak for this guy? We're going to do something. Was there any talk of that? It was just simple. You know, this is going to be a normal dark match, and you're going over, and he's losing.
3: No, and, and I'm. I mean, I'm telling you, is that he would have matches that he would just go over in about two minutes, but only because he was so green, and he was very, he was very impressive in his size. Um, he had a good look, and he could fire up, and he was, he was pretty athletic. So. Truly, we we would go over a bunch of you know high spots and finishing moves, trying to figure out what what would be his his finish. Um, and of course, and I'm working on my stuff, and we'd spy around at, at the school and do some some things. But because Bill was so green, and he was you know not really wrestling anybody big at the time. Uh, he was just going out there and smashing some of the job guys or guys that you know would work with him. Um, and that was it. So it wasn't until it was, it was starting to get over um, even in the dark matches or even in the, the Saturday night show, he started to get over because his fire up and he was very impressive. And then I think that's when a, a, a streak started just to go, but you know, he was caught up like a lot of us was the Hogan or Hogan, It was all about Hogan and the Hulkster and, and trying to make that push. And then here comes Bill, who, you know, essentially was nobody coming out of nowhere, but very impressive, was getting over by the crowd, with the crowd, and lo and behold, Bill Goldberg was born.
0: Did you ever think you'd be kind of like the footnote in a trivia question, like who
3: was the real first <laughs> loss for Bill Goldberg? No, you know, I mean, we are we are buddies, um, and. You know, I used to mess with him out on the field when we were playing against each other. He had this really bad temper, and you could get it. Be on the line. I play tight end. He was an outside linebacker, well, a defensive tackle, really, uh, defensive end. And he would just come so hard all the time. But you can get him pissed off, you know, <laughs> real easy. And I'd mess with him out on the line and stuff. And then we'd run the other direction. It, it, it was kind, of, you know, kind of fun, but. Uh, no, you know, you never know how things are going to work out this way, but we were having a great time. And especially, you know, he and I traveling together for a while. It was just like old, just buddies. You never knew where it was going to take you. Did you ever kind of foresee him
0: becoming like this huge megastar? Because there wasn't really a guy like him that would kind of come out of nowhere and ascend to the main event scene within six to eight months. I mean, it's pretty r- remarkable what he was able to do. Like you said, he was impressive, and he had great size, and he had a great look. But did you ever foresee, like, okay, this is going to be a main event, or, I mean, he's going to, you know, sell out the Georgia Dome and become this huge star?
3: Well, actually, actually no, because we were all a bit frustrated that we weren't going to get a shot. And it wasn't until Bill started getting over that, I think that the 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 office started thinking at least, and even the the popular guys, the Hogans, and some of the older guys that out there could use him as somebody that could give them credibility of you know beating it, right, but he had such a good attitude, and again, he was getting over with the crowd it just just like he won it over he he forced the spot because he was getting over um so it was exciting to there was at least a possibility that he had some type of, he had a formula that was working that, you know, the old boys and, and, you know, Hogan, I mean, it really was, and I'm not bad enough in Hogan and he deserves any, everything he's gotten. He's a legend, but he came into WCW with a big old contract and could do whatever he wanted and he could bring whatever he wanted and he could pretty much call the shots. So, but with, with a guy, Bill Goldberg coming out of nowhere and winning over a crowd and then the office getting behind him and giving him pushes and, you know, you know, coming out with a win and some of the older guys too. So yes, then we saw that it was happening.
0: So with Goldberg and that win, is that something where they're like, okay, delete that tape or uh, we don't want this getting out. uh, Don't say anything. Is that anything ever kind of said again about that win that you had over Goldberg?
3: Well, nobody would know that except Arne Anderson, myself, and, and Bill. And I think one day, you know, when he, they were counting his streak and, you know, I saw him, you know, at a, at a nitro or something one day. And I said, well, you didn't beat me. And we would laugh about that. And I might've said it once or twice or whatever in a joke and joking. And he just remembered it. Um, that's one thing, Bill is a great guy, and he knows where he comes from, and I think he knows that at that time it was going to be a tough business to break into and knew what we were up against and he 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 did it and he worked hard for it and but he remembered, and he he keeps my friendship, so it's you know i i it's been maybe a couple of years since I've talked to Bill, but you know when I do speak with him, it's just like you know it was yesterday he still remains good friends and and uh and you know just like what it was but no i mean nobody would have said nobody in the office i don't think they would ever, ever acknowledge that. that That's that wouldn't be credible yeah yeah i mean you want to keep that
0: secret especially since you're saying he's undefeated you know 73 and 0 173 and 0 i mean yeah you kind of have to brush that under the rug uh, yeah but- is there any sort of reasoning behind like guys like that getting a loss? Do they almost want you to lose to see how you react? Is that something that happens in wrestling?
3: Well, I believe that that's what happened. Arn Anderson, um, he is an old school guy and I know that there is um, I, I think that he believed it. I think at that point, you know, I think he knew that we, Bill and I were good friends and we were hanging around a, a lot together, but you know, he didn't want to dial Bill out for no reason. That would that wouldn't wouldn't really work all that well because it doesn't make sense. But knowing it was me, um and then, you know, maybe it was time at that time, you know, to give give young Bill in the business anyways a, a loss. See how he handles it. I mean it was pretty much just a it was I think it was making Georgia and it wasn't a big, big event. Nobody would really know. Who knows? Um, but I'm sure it had something to do with it. But you know, the the streak went on, and it it kind of kind of built him who he is today. Oh my God! yeah.
0: still, you know, after yeah. all these years, still a huge, huge star, and still can yeah. show up to WWE and you know, and, and be the champion and get over and you know, be do headline WrestleMania and things like that.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, kind of just rewinding a bit because, you know, we're talking about WCW and we can come back to it, but I'm just curious, you know, you're trained by WCW, you know, by um, the assassin Jody Hamilton and Ole and Black and Mulligan. How did you end up in WWF? Is that something that, because of uh, Bill Watts and because of Eric Watts, you ended up in, in the, basically on WWF TV first in 1995?
3: Um, well, here's how that worked out. is One, there was a bit of frustration because I had been – in the school and just doing little house matches and stuff like that uh, Mm -hmm. for WCW, uh, for about a year. And I was getting frustrated. Um, I think I was ready. And again, I felt like, you know, the Hogan stuff, there's a lot of focus on that and his people were in, uh, I hope I'm not going to get a bunch of heat from this interview, but from my perspective, that's kind of how it was. So, um, not getting a really fair shot. Um, Eric Watts. He had been out. He went to Japan for a couple months. Came back, and then he had said he had asked me. He says there is a tryout. What, which? What? How, how does it work out? It worked out. I think he he talked to Jr. Um, because you know the relationship between uh, Bill Watts and. And all the other guys So Mm -hmm. he talked to JR About coming to WCW I mean, sorry, WWF And he wanted to bring me And try out as a tag team Um, uh, We went We we drove to I think that was also Macon um, Met up with uh, Vince was there JJ Dillon, JR We had our dark match um, had a really good match, and they offered us right there on the spot. It says uh, we're ready for you. We're going to see you up in New York like next week. Um, incidentally, Hunter Hearst Helmsley had his tryout the next day, um, where he where he ends up going. So anyway, so but I'm still under contract or at the school with WCW. Well, I come back, I talk to Jody, Jody goes, Jody and I go to um, talk to Bischoff in the office. And I'm thinking, okay, well, at the very least, I have some negotiation power here. Well, I couldn't be more wrong. Um, Bischoff was so pissed off at me and basically just threatened threatened me. He says, you get your ass back to the office. training, uh, facility, or I'm going to sue you. And I'm like, wait a second. Now, I mean, it's just kind of floored in the whole thing. And Jody kind of just didn't do much to help me with that fact. But I'm just like, are you kidding me? For a year I've been, tra- I've, I've been, I've uh, been, training. I go to WWF and have one match and they want to sign a contract and get, you know, have this big plan. And you're just going to tell me to go back to the training facility and then threatens to sue me. Well, I just, I just had to take a shot. Um, And I just, I left and just challenged uh, Eric to, to do what he had to do. Um, Nothing really happened, but next, next week we were in uh, talking to Vince at, in Titan towers in Stanford, Connecticut. And they had a big plan. Uh, I told us a story about how Undertaker got his name, and that you know uh, that they actually used some of his background as you know working in a cemetery, and and you know came up with that gimmick, and some other guys how they came up with the gimmicks. And I think Vince was trying to get new, young, fresh, uh, working for the future. He actually sent us to a design team in new york city in a limousine they did drawings for this techno team 2000 you know they interviewed this first about how we came to be friends and playing football together and being friends outside of school and hanging out and stuff like that so they came up with the great um techno team 2000 concept right but so as if. Mm-hmm five years was way in the future. It was a futuristic warrior, the symbolic of the, the future of W or WWF. Um, and had a lot of money packed, um, behind it. Uh, uniform, three sets of uniforms, uh, flew us to Houston, Texas to have boots made for us that would, you know, be slick and, you know, go all the way up to the top of your knees and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff coming out in these, uh, Ninjas with uh, LED lights all over it, and there's a big budget um, for it. However, when we showed up, incidentally, this first ma our first match um, under contract with, with WWF, was in Madison Square Gardens against the Heavenly Bodies. Um, unbelievably nervous was I. Uh, <laughs> the fireworks. Uh, we did run-ins, um, the kind of precondition the crowd. Um, it was the coolest thing in the world, but I didn't know if there was anybody even in, the, in that arena because I was so nervous. It was so dark. Um, I believe it was, it was taped. Um, I believe it was taped. I'm sure it was taped, uh, but I don't know if it was on, aired on TV yet. Anyways, it was a blast. Um, but that was my first WWF match uh, at Madison Square Garden.
0: Quite an introduction. The world's most famous arena for, uh, you know, the biggest
3: organization at that time in the world. Quite a debut. Absolutely. And then we did our run all the way into Philadelphia. So we did the Philadelphia Spectrum. Um, it, was, it was just great. It was, it was just a lot of fun being thrown right into the mix. Um, and I was still relatively green. I knew moves and I knew, um, you know, some of the high spots. And, of course, all the spots and stuff like that. But there was still a lot of in-ring listening to the crowd that I still needed to learn. Um, and, and same with Eric. I mean, he had a short run um, at WCW. But we were learning. And you, you were in the big time at WWF. So, um and and we got a lot of heat from I think some of the older guys um, that were there, uh, Shawn Michaels and Nash and Hall. Uh, the smoking guns were there. We were, we were, we we were put on a tour of Europe, going to Germany and around there. And there was a lot of heat that we end up somehow getting taken off of the Europe run because that's when a lot of guys made a lot of, made good money. And it wasn't the guaranteed contracts like WCW was was getting out. So we you, when you worked is when you made your money.
0: So how did you get out of the WCW deal the Bishop Bischoff just said that, that's enough or did you technically the contract was over? Like right before you kind of we well, you know we're talking about WF and debut, but how did you get how did you get out though?
3: So. I don't know. He just he just didn't pursue it. I think he was mad oh, at okay. me for a little bit. He just kind of forgave, forgot about it, and just went on. You know, at the time, I was not, I wasn't anybody. I was I was, you know, just at the school. So I'm sure he had other plans. Uh, obviously, he did. Um, he was he was going to debut the Monday Nitros, which was all going to be live. And I think he was working on trying to get Hall and Nash. Um, over to WCW. So to worry about me, I think he just said, forget that. I'm just going to, I'm going to get some of these other players uh, and steal them away from WWF.
0: So the Techno
3: Team 2000,
0: like you said, is born and the gimmick and the creation. Is that all them or is there any collaboration from you and Eric Watts as far as putting together this this team like Travis and Troy, the names and everything. Is that all them?
3: No, it was yeah, it was all them. But it was also more of a a marketing team, uh, an outside marketing team that had put it all together. Again, with the, the they came up with the name and the Travis and Troy's, which did not really understand that when it can, when it was a futuristic situation. The uniforms were kind of cool. Um, but maybe uh I don't know for that time i don't know i don't know if it was cool or not cool, whether it's futuristic or not, but we thought it was kind of cool, but the whole thing was kind of hokey. It turned out hokey because the budgets were cut, and weren't able to really kind of follow through so much because the older guys um were starting to get upset you know, because there's such a a pressure from WCW that was doing live Nitro. Now, Raw had to go live, and the older guys wanted to get their money too and not be, you know, challenged by these younger guys. And again, uh, Triple H was a part of that. He was right there with us. We were signed first. Triple H was signed second. And, you know, again, from that perspective, Triple H wasn't getting any push. He had the same people who designed his gimmick as we did. Uh, he was Hunter Hurst Hilmsley, right? Some pompish European. And, you know, it wasn't getting over from our perspective, from anybody's perspective, getting over really all that well. He had honed it in there. But, and also... Hunter was kind of off on his own. Um, He was getting shunned, too, by some of the older guys. And uh, it wasn't until Terry Taylor had talked to Shawn Michaels, and Shawn Michaels had taken Hunter under his wing, and that's where his kind of career took off. He he was part of that. Um, Nash and and Shawn Michaels and Triple H started... Yeah, they started hanging out and traveling together. And, of course, you know, the collaboration, and that's when how they started. For Eric and I, we kind of went the other way because we were, you know, we were we were a threat to people, the guys' income, you know, getting a push, a big budget, um, getting thrown on TV, run-ins, things like that. And some of that just kind of went away.
0: What did you think about the chemistry between you and Eric and, like, the actual team that was put together? Did you think that was a good idea? Were you for it? Did you think that was kind of a a good role for you at that point?
3: Well, I mean, I have to admit, I was green still. Um, I don't know if I appreciated the history of of wrestling as as much as I should have. I mean, I was a fan as a as a kid, and then you know when I got into kind of the sports and playing football and stuff like that, I kind of lost some touch. Um, and then now I'm in arenas working alongside some of the greats. Um, you know, Dusty Rhodes is in, but there's another generation with the Hall and Nash, and and uh, uh, so. So, but Eric and I, uh, who we were best friends in college, he went off and wrestled and I was off in the, playing pro football. I felt that he had changed a little bit. He was fully in the wrestling unit. And, and my perspective, he was, I was like, where is the Eric that I knew? He um, was a little bit different. However, we were still best friends, and we got along fantastically. And I think our spots and the way we worked together was really, really good. But there, I have to admit, there might have been a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling some, some days. Um, but for overall, not too much. I mean, he and I were solid with that. It was just our niche within WWF.
0: So did you think when you guys got there, I mean, besides like the backstage politics and stuff, did you think like, okay, I know they're, they're, they're putting this marketing team into us. Um, they're giving us this gimmick. Did you kind of think like, okay, we're in line for this big push. You know, we're going to start making a lot of money. This, this was a, you know a great idea to, to leave WSTB and go to the WWF.
3: Um, I thought, yes, I thought, for, I thought, to leave WCW, I thought, yes, this is a legit opportunity. Um, of course, you know, you're watching WWF in the eighties, they didn't do anything half ass. And yeah, flying us and flying us first class, limousines, you know, downtown New York to, you know, these uh these companies having, you know, uniforms made, like I said, three uniforms made. Um it was more than what I think a lot of the guys came out. I don't think the smoking guns had, you know, somebody working on their gimmick and going through all this kind of stuff. It There's was, it was kind of a generation that Vince was preparing for the future. Um, you know, retiring some of the older guys and looking toward that. So it was very serious. Um, but of course we, we got heat, you know, soon right away. I mean, Stone Cold had just gotten there as well. And trying to figure out how his gimmick was gonna work out. And uh Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, I'm sorry, Dustin Rhodes with Gold Dust, all in the, the same era than just starting that. And I know he, he's got more heat than we did <laughs> because of painting his face up in this gold uh, you know jumpsuit. Um, you know, it was quite ridiculous. But I'm telling you, it was one of my favorite gimmicks ever because way Dustin had pulled it up, Dustin had pulled it off.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Unforgettable Goldust. And some of the stuff that he he did and would pull and totally, oh, yeah. uh, you know, androgynous and all that other kind of crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. Definitely uh, kind of almost ahead of his time as far as that point. Because sometimes – you know, in that in the mid 90s, they were going a little bit cartoony, a little bit of PG. So he was definitely pushing the, the ed- edge of a lot of things. Did yeah. you guys think the tag division at this point it, it was like a focal point? Because yeah, you know, I always talked to Doctor Tom Pritchard. He was part of the Heavenly Bodies. He was saying that they didn't really care much about the tag teams, and that was kind of like unfortunate. Obviously, they had the bodies, they had the guns. And, you know, eventually the Godwins. And then yeah. the bodies would get, be gone and you'd have the body us, But did you think that WWF at this point is focusing in on tag wrestling?
3: Um, I knew that they were working. They were, they were trying to work with us. Um, uh-huh. Whether they were focusing on it and maybe because we didn't pan out or we didn't have the mesh as far as with the rest of the division, the WCW, that it didn't go as... as To that design because I I know that they were giving us a big push. They hired uh, the Heavenly Bodies to work with us and to get us over. I mean, couldn't be any better than that. Jimmy and I guess Tom were fantastic. Um, And then the Godwins came in and the smoking guns were already there and were really working good. So I think they were priming us to work a lot with the guns. And it just didn't quite do it. And, and, again, they were working a lot of different new guys. The Gold Dust and Stone Cold and Hunter were starting to try and find his way. There's a lot of projects in the, in the works there. Um, I think giving a little bit more time and not the pressure of having the live uh, competition against right, raw and nitro, um, it would have been. It would have taken off. We would have found our niche, uh, just giving a little bit more time. And now the budget far,
0: sports. Right. As far as the breakup of the team and, and breaking the team up, what was the the, the deal? I mean, was there, there was just too much heat going on? The contracts run out. Like, how come you know they decide to break up the team and you guys kind of exit the uh, WWF?
3: Um. I just I just think there there's a lot of pressure with Nitro, uh, them pulling Nash and Hall uh, for WCW, and it was it was enticing for everybody that was in WWF because you were going to go with Ted Turner's money and get a guaranteed t- uh, contract, uh, whether you wrestled or you didn't wrestle, um, and WWF you worked you worked. Um, you went in and did a pay-per-view, I'm sorry, you did the nitros basically for free. That was your time to get over uh, with the crowd while you're on TV. And then those sell the tickets for the, uh, the house shows and the house shows, depending on where you were is when you got percentages of the house. Um, and, and so it's a long road of working and, Pretty much work, you know, 300 days out of the year, um, as long as you were healthy. Um, and I think the guys, especially Hall and Nash, when they got the big contracts to go to WCW, then they're ready to go. So I think WC or WWF to try and keep some of the older guys happy um, would, you know, have to work them and pay them and give them bigger contracts. So they focused on keeping the guys that had built WC or WWF, keeping them happy at WWF for as long as they could. And we got kind of like, like I said, our budget was cut and taken off of the TV, still working, you know, the house shows, but again, with no really push anymore, we just kind of became, you know, out there. So they they kind of they broke us up because I think that's why we were on we were on a stipend to do some house shows. We went to the USWA and did some loops uh, around there for a while. Um, but after a while, they just broke us up. And then I ended up going back to WCW. Bischoff took me back, um, and that's when you know the NWOs. Took off and again, that was kind of in that same spot again of looking for a, a shot, you know, a hole that we could fit into, you know, with this big giant NWO push. So when
0: you do get brought back, how did, like, how did that happen? Is that be because they, they you know forgave you, or did you have to beg a little, or you know, what would you say? Hey, sorry about that, Eric. I'm back. What, what how yeah. did that go down?
3: Well, I did. I, I went in and I got a meeting with, with Eric. And, you know, Bishop is, you know, he has a reputation of being a hard ass. But he really is a good guy. And he did understand. I, I told him, I go, listen, I, I took a shot and I went for it. And I go, I, I wrestled in Madison Square Gardens. I've had a great run. I've been, whatever, I took a shot that you weren't willing to, you know, give me. I had to do it. Um, and for the most part, I'm not. I don't regret it. But you know, here I am, and I'm asking you know for a position. And he did. He he gave me a shot. He gave me another contract, and said, go you know go to the school and and keep on doing what you're doing, and then we'll get you. We'll work with you. But it, again, with all the things going on, and some of the older guys that had you know been getting over in WWF that are now at WCW, there wasn't enough TV time for everybody, but there's a lot of money, <laughs> so there's a lot of money to sit home, and I and that's where I started. I started training guys and and showing up to the, the power plant and, and working hard, and I got into like I said with the marketing side and doing pay-per-view commercials, um, the WCW race team on the Bush series. Um, some other little projects that they had going on uh to try and keep get myself in the door but again there there's there were guys going in there, and there wasn't a whole lot of other places to go Japan and maybe in Mexico so when he brings you back to WWE,
0: there's no promises of you no know, push or like hey we're gonna do this or your spot and stuff because you know you obviously you know you're going to be used a lot on saturday night main event worldwide pro so is there any sort of promise or at all
3: like hey you know
0: uh, gonna put you on nitro all the time or you know we're gonna do this with you we're gonna do that with you
3: no no absolutely not it was it was almost like he did me a favor and if i was going to get over it was going to have to be with me and you know terry taylor was a booker um you had some bookers in there, but it, it just didn't, didn't feel like there was a lot of prioritizing on anybody, really, unless it was their, their, the prime focus was Hogan's and oh, Nash for now in and whatever kids they can bring in just to blow WWF out of the water. That was the main goal. Bischoff hmm. hated Vince and WWF, and he just wanted to put him out of business. Um, and that was the folk that was the focus and you know the guys that already had names from coming from WCW or WWF was really the drive and then you know of course the nwo came on and it was just the ratings were through the roof there wasn't any need to kind of get any new blood in there
0: yeah and, you know, obviously Goldberg would come, and that would be a huge – and we thought I – mean, obviously we were talking about him earlier, but that was a huge injection because WBF at that point started to get in a little bit of a role as Uncle Steve Austin made his rise to the ranks. And, you know, the Attitude Era was taken off, and you throw the rock in there and everything else. So I mean, they were taken off, so Goldberg was kind of used as the combatant of WBF in the Attitude Era, and you know, that worked uh, for a little bit. Did you ever like think like okay when they actually do end the streak, not counting you know your your win over him, but like when they actually ended the streak at Starkey ninety eight, did you actually think like uh oh like that could be a mistake?
3: Yeah, you you always wondered because that was that was such a, his big big push was that streak, and that as soon as somebody beat him, now it gives the credibility right, and I honestly thought that giving giving Bill the the credibility would would be used to give even an older wrestler like Hogan or something like that, even a, a more revitalized push. You know what I mean? This, yep. is, this is the guy that beat Goldberg, who beat you know, whatever the heck the record was at the time. But I think Bill was so over that he could still hold his own. Um from his size and because he had that fire up mentality and tough guy and that realism. Um he still, you know, obviously still was able to kinda of overcome some of the that uh, if you lose you're you go back down to being a jobber, you know. But no, it, it worked out good for him and, and both credibility for some of the other guys too. So I I think it all worked out the way it was supposed to.
0: So what kind of led to your WCW release? Because, you know, like you said, I mean, we talked about the monster truck and thing, but were you actually released from WCW? Like, how did you make your exit? Maybe you just left the monster truck, or how did that all go down?
3: Okay, so um, I think there was a big run, and WCW was, was spending so much money. Mm-hmm. They had guys on contract making like $75,000 a year. And never wrestling, never. They weren't ever in the school. They weren't doing anything. They were just lost in Atlanta, Georgia, or wherever the heck they were from, on contract, doing doing nothing. Um, and you know the money that Bischoff would put in some of these productions. I think that the office, Turner's office, and the corporate deal is that they were they might have been they weren't big fans and so what i understand is that the corporate offices weren't big fans it was ted turner who was a big fan and helped build tn tn but the, the corporates uh sizes saw them as just sucking up money and was wanting to cut there was a WCW school there was all this stuff going on with these big contracts of, of guys and you know that were wrestling on TV and then guys that would be on contract and not wrestling at all well Eric one one and I one day went in to a Nitro and I think would, I, the, they must have had a meeting or something Did they end up firing or or laying off a bunch of guys, like, the next week. Um, just because I think they were cutting costs. Um, and cutting some of the stuff in the school, I remember that. Um, and then, that was kind of the lucky part. It was, for me, that was Mike Weber, that was, he had left. He'd either get released or or saw the writing on the wall too and left and went to the monster trucks and he invited me out to the the monster jam because they think he knew it was getting ready to happen he was trying to get me Medusa was kind of in that mix too mm-hmm. yep. and, and she and I went to do these tryouts pretty much together um, yeah and, and it was within the, the year that WCW just started to fold um, that was at 98, 99. Yeah, really
0: kind of, they were really starting to lose that momentum big time in 99 to the WWF, who was skyrocketing with, you know, with Austin and rock and those guys I mentioned with the attitude era, but the, yeah. the ratings for WCW would slowly, slowly go down. And obviously by 2001, they were close. So, you being gone and moving into monster truck uh, definitely was beneficial for you because if WCW was going to uh, close down, like you said before, you need that secure yeah. job and something that's hot and monster truck is very hot still to this day. I mean, my son still loves monster trucks. We got uh, three different size grave diggers uh, in my basement. <laughs> uh, you know, the little one, the medium sized one and that huge one. So um, yeah, I feel like monster trucks, it, right. I mean, it's one of those things where obviously pre COVID and I mean, very very high attendance, and you could watch it on TV, and it was very popular.
3: Well, and it was it was it was so much fun too in the, in the early days because it was just starting to take off, and and me having a lot of leeway, the stuff that I had learned one, playing football, which was the one on one competition of you know that stuff, and that's that's what racing in in must jam is, and then. The showing off part of freestyle, and what I what I learned from being an entertainer in wrestling and some of this stuff, and learning from Dusty Rhodes and you know all of these guys you know out there that use the entertainment to the hype. I was able; it had rain to do with with the monster trucks. Um, I had a, I had a DC Comics um, sponsorship as Superman. I got to be Superman. Um, and it was so much fun. It was like a dream job and then, after that, Marvel Comics sponsorship with Captain America um and then when when they left and the sponsorship ran out, the office had enough you know respect for me and everything that I did to ask me what I wanted to do next, and they gave me the opportunity to kind of you know give me creative control and say. I want to do uh, a tribute truck to the military that's unaffiliated, really, that it doesn't have a, a sponsorship, that I can honor the men and women who fight for our country and the veterans and the families. Um, and I had a gimmick uh, actually in WCW um, where, do you remember Master P when he first came out? Mm-hmm. No Limit Soldiers. Been, oh, yeah. The No Limit Soldiers. Okay. Well, I had put together a gimmick, the, sol- the soldier fortune or the unknown soldier fortune, which was I had shaved my head back. I had camo pants. And I was almost like a the opposite of a skinhead. I was a skinhead but with a different attitude. I was more of the soldier, the masterpiece soldier, uh, kind of fighting on the side of the oppressed. You know what I mean? That guy. Uh, I thought it was good. It, was, uh, it presented it. And it just was I think they were considering it But that's when I end up Leaving and going into monster trucks Well anyways, Years later um, I was able to bring back that proposal And And Proposed soldier of fortune As this military Truck To honor the, the military U.S. military and the veterans well, because of copyright in the magazine Soldier of Fortune, I think there's also right. a video game. They just shortened it to Soldier Fortune, and gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted. And uh, so blessed to be able to do that. And they end up building a Black Ops Soldier of Fortune Black Ops and a uh, and the the army kind of camo the digicam. And we were going to build a desert one next, but I think there's some budget issues going on. But you know then here we go, and then uh there I, mean, I had just turned fifty, and I was about ready. you know what what was really kind of interesting through this this career that I've had one when went one career ended and another one began, so at the end of playing football, it was like turning a chapter it, there was kind of a remorse, but I went right into wrestling when wrestling and he kinda of knew I knew when it was happening. He was just kinda of like losing steam. I played it out and whatever opportunities. I wasn't bitter about anything. I was grateful for the all the the opportunities I've had and the people I met and worked with. And it just transitioned seamlessly right into Monster Jam. And when the last year of of my 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 mustard jam, it was kinda it was kinda okay. Um South Entertainment had bought us about seven years ago. They were really turning us corporate. Um uh, when we first started out it was really family oriented there there's a group of us that would travel together, you know, the Tom Minces and the Dennis Andersons and the Scott Harsocks and the Chad Fortunes and the Medusas and um we were the guy, we were always on the TV doing all the shows. It was like the A team stuff. And man, we did some really fun stuff. And the creativity with some of the monster mucks and uh, this, the evolution of, you know, my Superman truck was just a Ford F 150 with, with a cape on it to an actual Captain America truck that was a hybrid and the body seams all meshed together really nicely. and and then the soldier fortune truck was a complete futuristic, you know, truck, but it was a, like a real deal. I mean, you, it wasn't pieced together with some, you know, just fiberglass body parts. It was actually molded and just beautiful. However, I keep going. So anyways, with the Fells entertainment, that, it started to turn into just being a numbers game. Um, I used to feel like we were doing something that was really important. Kids and families and really loved, and we cared. Um, I could get out on top of the truck and pose in front of 60,000 people for photo ops and um, go into the crowd. It just turned into a big rush, rush, rush. Don't get out of your truck. If it turns over, we're just going to drag you back and get the next guy out. And it started to lose that, that individualized Chad fortune, Superman, important, you know, eye contact with fans and now just being in number and switching things up so quickly and selling merch, merch, merch. Um, so my last year it was, it was a, you know, it was just a transition of just coming back out and going really full time corporate, which, that's that. I mean, sitting behind a desk and then COVID hit. <laughs> hmm.
0: So really, I mean, as we hit the wind down and head towards the finish, I mean, really it's such an interesting career. If you think about it, like, like you said, one thing led to the other almost seamlessly and perfectly, Like you know, almost like meant to be and meant to happen. And now, even another way, like you said, you entered in the office side of things and, and you're working in that way. So what do you think is kind of like the the lasting legacy? Is somebody like looks back or the stance you left? Wrestling, football, college football, NFL, Monster Truck, everything combined. What do you think is like the, the lasting legacy of Chad Fortune?
3: Well, it's hard to say because you know i i never got to like superstar status you know i never i never got the championship belt um i never played in the super bowl um uh, or went to a, a, the pro bowl or um i never won the world finals um but i was great doing all of it um and so what, what's better you know playing in the, in the super bowl and winning the super bowl and having that legacy and that ring um, and having a niche, you know, playing pro football or being a superstar wrestler and, you know, having a belt and have that kind of a thing. I think about those, that stuff or being able to spread out throughout my life, three major careers um, playing, you know, with uh, with Dan Marino and, and legendary coaches like Mike Ditka and, Don Shula and Richie Kotite and Joe Gibbs and Jim McMahon as quarterbacks and, and uh, uh you know, Wilbur Marshall and just uh, uh Reggie White. Some of the some of the greatest in the in the, that ever played the game or n- meeting or knowing, you know, Dusty Rhodes and and Hall and Nash and all of these legends, Blackjack Mulligan and, and hearing the stories about going up and down the road. Or again, you know, one of my good friends, you know, Dennis Anderson and Tom Mance and being able to go all over the world um, legitimately. I mean, it's just, it's tr- you know, driving monster trucks in Wembley Stadium, uh, co-wrestling with WWE and Madison Square Gardens, and Playing in the Meadowlands or in the Georgia Dome, you know, playing football or in going to Japan and playing in All-Star games. Uh, I've had a, i have had aii have a great life, and even though COVID has kind of put everything on hold and I can go, I have time to kind of reflect on all of this. I don't think that I would ever change one day of it. Um, so, a legacy is is that they're not going to look up, you know, Chad Ford the wrestler and see any kind of just major titles. I just was a guy that beat Bo Goldberg, you know, in the middle of his streak. And, you know, I've met a lot of people and did a lot of cool stuff and I get to continue even now. Um, you know, I'm still in physical fitness and, and stuff like that. I've got my, personal training um, certificate. Um, I go and talk to schools, uh, motivate, so will speak here and there and just can tell stories and it's all good. I've got a great life. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Just if you think about it, like
0: from college football to the NFL, to pro wrestling, to monster trucks, It's quite a unique journey. I mean, if you really think about it, it's kind of only you and, and, but not really Medusa because obviously they didn't play football. But you know, it's very rare the pro wrestling monster truck driver. But then you throw in the pro football. It's very rare and, and unique for you
3: for sure. Well, and I still had people that would ask me during this. He goes, "Well, what a great life you have. What are you going to do next?" And I joke around and say, "Well, I'm going to be a professional ping pong player." <laughs> what what else could be as great as that other than equally as freaking unique as playing ping pong because none of these careers other than football, I mean, that's what I worked for and wanted to be an athlete. Um uh football my focused on and when that cut short wrestling was right there. Who who even gets that opportunity? And then and then to go into driving monster trucks, never in a million years have I ever thought I'd do that. Uh I, I only watched. I only saw Bigfoot in the movie once, and then I'm driving and have my own truck or two trucks. So, you know, anybody that's out there, you never. I just would be open-minded and never say no to anything. I Always ex- express and talk to people and and watch where it lands you, because um, I'm I'm kind of that guy. It just kind of worked out. And, again, whatever happens next, and I don't even know, but it just seems to work out. At least that's what I hope.
0: Awesome. Awesome stuff. Love your journey. Love your story. It is, like you you said and I said, very, very unique. College football star, NFL, pro wrestling, WWE, and WWF, and then Monster Truck. It's very, very cool. So, do you have some plugs?
3: Are you out there in social media? Do you kind of uh, do that kind of thing? Um, I well, I have a LinkedIn. Uh, just Chad Fortune. My my email is chadfortune at yahoo dot com. For this time, I'm working on a website. Um, I am doing some personal training. I am doing motivational speaking. Um, I got I've got time right now, and I'm I'm loving it. Um, I'm able to be here for family. I I live in Florida now. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess you could say I'm available because COVID things kind of shut down entertainment for right now. And anybody out there that wants to do something, uh, talk about stories. Uh, There's a million stories from, you know, football and meeting Johnny Unitas and, um, Joe Namath and, and guys back in the old at college at University of Louisville and, and Howard Schnellenberger uh, and playing with some of the guys, uh, Thurman Thomas all these guys, um, to Dusty Rhodes and there's just a million stories out there that i love to talk about and um, I'm available
0: <laughs> Awesome Great stuff, Chad thank you uh, so much for all the time you gave me today. really appreciate that and hopefully, you know, this COVID era ends very, very soon and we can get Monster Jam back out there and going again because that would be quite excellent outside of just getting wrestling going again.
3: Absolutely. And I think with Monster Jam, um, COVID is kind of going to re- 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 frame everything. And Monster Jam is probably going to come back a little bit different. Maybe they go back to the old school-ish and start incorporating you know, a lot of the drivers and let them show some personality and as well as some of the incredible stunts and and racing that you're going to be doing, but it's going to be exciting. And and if we don't improve after this, uh, it it would be a shame, but I just know uh, we will, all of us will. Awesome stuff. Chad,
0: thank you so much uh, for all the time and
3: uh, good luck with everything going forward. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much, and thank you for remembering. Um, time goes on, and you know they 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 people think about the superstars, but you know wherever I slot in these these careers, I appreciate you remembering and then wanting to take the time to talk. And uh, let's keep in touch for anything else you have planned.
0: Awesome, good thing, uh, and uh, definitely definitely will. The man that first beat Goldberg fortune thank
3: you uh, so much thank you so much
0: this has been a john pause power trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling you could follow us on instagram and twitter at two-man power trip you could check us out on facebook you could subscribe on youtube